Oh my god a lot of this gyan a lot of this knowledge that you possess <laughs> like it's stuck in your head you're dropping these gems i want to get this on air and and hopefully it will help one person who needs to hear some of this stuff so for folks who are listening or watching this funny was my hero when i was in college all right so i was in hyderabad i grew up in hyderabad some of you know this and uh, all i read about inadu and telugu and what are some of these newspapers was a deccan chronicle was about this startup called redbus and is one of the first big name popular startups and before the phrase startups was a thing and funny was the founder and, and one of the founders and the ceo and it was a big deal it gave a lot of the youth of that generation a lot of identity and something to aspire for so for 3 years what wow for for almost 3 years wow. and uh, like many vcs rejected us saying hey uh, that crash happened and then i am in a new world mm. and all the people who said they would invest invest went silent mm. and i came very close to the uh, running out of cash wow. now because now we have kids and it gets difficult to go in bus right. but after we sold red bus lifestyle was the same so before uh, red bus i was going by buses after red bus also i was going by buses a friend of mine actually said something which really made me even more motivated to pick up these things because i mean he said like how many lives can you fit in in your one life and so bring us to the early days of bib.so like what made you choose that idea what was the curious part that you were trying to explore hey everybody welcome to the building public podcast i'm your host kp and on this show i interview world class entrepreneurs ambitious startup founders creators and builders on the internet who are boldly building the future in public. This podcast is my excuse to take you all on a curious journey to understand, learn and hopefully be inspired by the worldviews, insights and stories of these fabulous people changing the world. So far, I've gotten the rare privilege to sit down with incredible guests like Gary Vee, Alexis Ohanian, Cat Cole, Sahil Levingia, and many more leaders. So check out the full podcast listing at buildingpublicpodcast.com. Now buckle up and get ready for our latest episode. Hello everybody. I'm KP and welcome to yet another episode of Building Public Podcast. Today I couldn't be more thrilled, more stoked and more I mean I don't know I I can I'm, I'm in search of words right now insanely excited for today's episode cuz I have a fantastic guest from my home country from the great India we have Fanindra Sama joining us and the funny thing is funny we're going to talk a lot of stuff about startups we're going to talk about Redbus some of you may already know you I uh, know him but funny uh, decided to put on a very formal attire for this interview <laughs> and i think it's i'm going to disappoint him with my questions cuz i can't i'm not going to do a very formal thing but welcome to the show funny <laughs> thanks thanks kp uh, very excited to be with you and uh, yeah uh, we've had great chats uh, in the past so look forward to this <laughs> so the the premise of this conversation really came about maybe like a week ago where i shared with funny that you know Like look man we he and I have been going back and forth we've had lots of like startup conversations lots of like entrepreneurship business building conversations and I was like oh my god a lot of this gyan a lot of this knowledge that you possess <laughs> like it's stuck in your head you're dropping these gems i want to get this on air and and hopefully it'll help one person who needs to hear some of this stuff or maybe it could be something fun that we could look back in 3 years and laugh at like how naive you know we were but so 
that was the premise and he agreed to join us and so I'm super thrilled you know funny once again thank you I, I think yeah all those things don't come out when you set this up formally yeah I know right <laughs> informally when we're chatting it comes exactly out. <laughs> you just lose it up but see look I, I think uh, you have such a great knack of speaking your mind you know for, for better or for worse I think I mean, very similar to me and then I think you're so good at I mean one thing I've enjoyed which I want to share with the audience here is that one thing you've had more than a decade of experience in the startup world and you, you you've probably seen like a lot of variations of the ideas and the frameworks and so many you know, like personal experiences that you tried trial and error failed succeeded and so to me the way i think about you is like yoda a wise <laughs> but young advisor and so i think you have a lot to share to the world and really appreciate you joining so let's let's kick it off with the topic i'm sure you're tired of talking about or maybe not <laughs> the rise of red bus right a lot of people know you for probably the most iconic startup out of I don't know, in, in the first era in startups in India. I was in college. So for folks who are listening or watching this, Funny was my hero when I was in college. All right. So I was in Hyderabad. I grew up in Hyderabad. Some of you know this. And uh, all I read about Inadu and Telugu and what are some of these newspapers was a Deccan Chronicle was about this startup called Redbus. And it's one of the first big name popular startups. And before the phrase startups was a thing. And Funny was the founder and, and one of the founders and the CEO. And it was a big deal. It gave a lot of the youth of that generation a lot of identity and something to aspire for. So, you know, getting to do this with Funny and getting to like become friends with Funny is like dream come true. It's like, I can't believe it. <laughs> but the moment I spoke to you, Funny, like one thing I loved was you were so unassuming and you were so <laughs> humble. And I mean, well, let's start with that. And I have another question about Redbus. Like, let, talk, talk to me about why. Why are you the way you are? Like, why are you so unassuming? Why are you humble? What, what, what? I think there's something deeper. I feel like, you know, the way you carry yourself. I know. Actually, nobody asked me this question. But uh, one thing is, I think being simple is a choice for me. Because, I mean, like, you know, like I come from a humble background. My father was a farmer. Uh, right and we lived in a village and all that so like I never had all these habits of driving like a fast car and all those things so when I made money I told myself that uh, all this while I didn't have that habit so why should I make it a habit now mm. particularly because it gives me strength right I mean my fear is if I make a habit of all those other things right then I'll have to keep working for that right right but uh, the money that I made if I continue living a simple life I have a lot of freedom I can do like I have earned my living for the life right and then after that like you have many degrees of freedom mm. to do several things like uh, after that burst I worked for the government uh, I did several things with like no intention of making money and my family was fine. So I think, uh, I, I don't know the humility, but uh, living simple is a choice that I made and my wife was happy with it. So we, we right, I, the only person that I had her convinced was my wife. <laughs> <laughs> so she's fine and it gives a lot of joy. I love uh, that. I love that. So, so the early days of Redbus, right? What was, I mean, what was special about building a startup back then, that era, when it first started? I think... Uh, or the other way I can answer that is, what is the difference now that yeah, I'm building again? Right. What is the difference between then and now? For me, from the entrepreneur perspective, right? I think what is special then was the ignorance. <laughs> like, right? I mean, I didn't know like, what is the time? What is the business model? How much should it make? How do I raise capital? What is dilution? Nothing. 
right? In fact, we didn't start it like a, a business. Right. We all that we had was I never thought we'd start a uh, like a internet business. Right. I was very passionate about electronics, and I was working for Texas Instruments. I was a chip designer. Right. And the life was set. I mean, I was very happy doing what I was doing, and then I happened to miss a bus. Right. Uh, right. Then being curious, like figured out why I missed the bus, why did it happen, like etc. And then when I saw the problem, the solution was apparent to mm. me. Then I said, Hey, let's solve this problem, and we actually started off doing as an open source software right we never thought of business uh, during that time i mean open source was a big, big thing, thing yep. um, i'm talking about 2005 right like the coolest thing that a college grad could do is uninstall windows and install linux right linux yep, uh, yep. right uh, yeah so i said wow let's just create the solution for the sake that the solution should exist mm -hmm. without expecting anything out of it. And then we started writing that software, creating solution. One thing led to another. We became a business. I mean, we went to TIE, the Indus Entrepreneurs, right. uh, Bangalore chapter, and we got mentors and the mentors, as I, I mean, the mentors advised us that this could be a business. And uh, immediately after that, uh, like we got inbound interest for VC investments. And one thing led to another and we became a business. But at that point in time, I think what was great was the ignorance mm. right if we were not ignorant we would not have done that business mm. because there were many many things against that business right right i mean like when we started uh, red bus there was already make my trip which was selling airline tickets in india right and uh, that was not profitable make my trip was not profitable so many investors who have invested there because they look at travel so when we were doing they were looking at us right and their thing is like airline ticket was about 5,000 rupees. A bus ticket is about a 500 rupees. Right. They said, when we are selling a 5,000 rupee ticket and making about, let's say, 500 rupees, let's say 10%, we're still not able to make profits. How will you send a, sell a 500 rupee ticket and make 50 rupees right. and be profitable? Right. It's like, it's not going to work. It is just not viable business. Right. Don't even pursue this. And then on the other side, people were saying, hey, how many people who travel by bus have internet access, mm. have credit card access? The TAM. Uh, that they will buy on right. internet. Right, the time. Right. So almost everything was against us. We went to the bus operators. During that time, there was just no internet. Other than offices, there was no internet in, in, at home. It was all cyber cafes no or, at, or, inner, uh, or yes. at work, at business. Yeah. Correct. I'm talking about pre-iPhone, pre-Facebook. Right. Pre-YouTube. YouTube, YouTube right. was just ever started. started and right. It had not come to India. Right. That era. Right. So it was a very, very different era. But for us, what really, what we really, dearly wanted to do was solve that problem. Mm. Right. When people said, hey, it's not going to be profitable, we took on ourselves that, hey, all that we want to make sure is this solution exists. Mm. So we figured out a solution around that. Mm. We said, hey, we'll have offices with no AC. Mm. We will work out of some other place. Like we will have team members who, who are like very low. Like mm. uh, we, we paid the first few engineers, we paid only $100, less than $100, 5,000 rupees. Wow. Maybe it was, yeah, it was $100 right. then, uh, given the, the right. segment. I mean, engineers coming at that per month, and we cut down everything to just make the solution possible. And then the solution became possible. The interesting thing about internet businesses is it's a winner take it all. Mm, yep. Right. That's true. And after a particular point in time, right, every ticket you sell directly goes to your bottom line. Right. Because you would have covered all your expenses. Right. And then it just, every additional ticket you sell, it's almost going into your bottom and line. At scale, so, right? Like you're, you're not even, the compounding helps you. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think the, uh, the, the, the ignorance yeah. 
and the naivety of, of like, okay, you know, not knowing all these traps that you will have to overcome. But I feel like there was a sense of what I'm sensing from your uh, story is that there was a sense of sheer determination that this needs to exist, right? And that seems to me like that's the biggest, that's the biggest driving factor for any business even now. If you can get to that conviction of saying this needs to exist and I will figure everything else out. We'll work out the math, work out the spreadsheets, work out the TAM, work out all the other answers. I think that's how you win. Yeah, I can't agree more on mm. that. What uh, is different now in your current okay. era? So what's different now is going through that cycle, right? Now, everything is uh, should needs to be a four right. <laughs> Like, hey, how big is the TAM? And uh, what's your business model? Where will you make money? How will you make money? How much will you dilute? When will you raise capital? Everything is like you have to, like I'm having to think through yeah. before doing things. Right. right. I wish I was as ignorant. Right. I just get in and do it. Right. The only thing I need to, I think the only thing every entrepreneur needs to cover is don't take such a big risk that it will hurt your like livelihood, like uh, I mean finances or reputation or emotional right. uh, this thing, right? right? There's a threshold below which you don't go and all these right. things, right? Right. Uh, that's the only thing that one needs to take care. Above that, I think you can just do whatever right. uh, thing that uh, I wish I were ignorant. Above that, I'm ignorant about everything. Right. <laughs> that's the thing that I wish now. So so there was another point that I heard that impressed me in one of your interviews was the conversation you had with your first customer for Redbus. Huh. I want you to kind of retell that story. Like what, I mean, if you can remember, like what was, do you remember, like what was it like to get that first customer and what did it teach you about business? Okay, about the bus operators. Yes. So, yeah, to get the bus operators. So, we went, I mean, there are several things. So, one thing is we kept, okay, so the problem statement was bus tickets were not available on internet and we had to make them available. Right. But before that, the problem is like bus operators were not computerized. Yes. Only if they are using software and computerized, we can publish their inventory on internet and people could come and buy tickets. Right. So anybody who is like logically trying to solve this problem, they will actually first probably create software for bus operators and get them to use that as a as their ERP and get access to that inventory and put that inventory on internet. Right. That's the logical thing, right? right? So first you create that software. So we also did the same thing. So we created that software. We went to the bus operators, started asking them to use the software so that we can also sell on internet right. later. So we went there and uh, we started pitching to them. Like we went to 40 of them and started talking to them and etc. They were not interested. They would say that, hey, this is not going to happen. Mm. And incidentally, we started in 2005. Incidentally, in 2000, when the Y2K thing was happening, right? Uh, somebody tried selling bus tickets on internet. Wow. Mm. Uh, same thing. And the bus operators are like, hey, somebody tried it and it failed. Why are you coming and doing it? Right. Like there's an operator who showed me a customer who came to his office and he was showing at him do you think this guy will buy on internet why are you wasting your time mm. like people who go and bus they won't buy on internet mm. uh, right so we had a lot of resistance for mm. people to use their software uh, use our software and etc but uh, we persisted we went to 40 of them because the software was already created right. so there's there's no downside right. so we just had to go and keep giving it right at last one operator agreed because his son was just coming into the business and yeah. his son was like educated and he wanted to try something new so he agreed but then 
he was also not like uh, taking software. Right. Like he said, next month and the next month, two months passed by, nothing happened. Then we were really stuck. We didn't know what to do then. Right. So uh, then our advisors told us that, hey, they will not take your software. If they're not really taking your software, go and ask what they really want. Mm. Right. At that point in time, I really thank the decision that we took. I mean, uh, thank, thank our good fortune. So at that point in time, like we could have said, hey, you can sit in a good AC office and say that, oh, go and ask them what they really want. I mean, that is what we've been doing for the last right. so many months. Yeah. We're going to them you, and asking yeah. them. And they're saying they don't want software. They don't want internet. Internet won't work. Right. So what else can we go and ask them? Right. Like, what do they want? Right. But that day something happened and said, anyway, okay, fine. Let's give it a try. I mean, they're saying, go and ask. So we went to the bus operator and asked them, okay, you don't want software. You don't want internet. You don't want any of this. But what is that that you really need for your business? Mm. They said, we don't want anything. You More customers come, we can run more buses, right? They just said that casually, like, hey, we just need more customers. They just want more uh, revenue, more customers, yeah. Uh, yeah, more more passengers, mm. more passengers. That's it, we don't need anything, we don't need anything, right? Then we caught that thing and went back and started thinking, hey, they just want customers. They don't need software, they don't want anything. Right. right? Then it stuck to us that, hey, how do we deliver just that what he wants? And for that, that meant that just launched the consumer-facing website, dropped this ERP for bus operators, and start selling there. And like getting, somehow bringing them get traffic, bring, to, bringing them tra customers, yeah. Customers, somehow get them in. But that was a, a impossible thing. Like on internet, they'll come, you have to show them what is available, they'll just book and then they'll go. Right. Unlike a shop. Right. right? If I'm an agent shop, they'll come to my shop, when they come and sit in front of me, I can ask them what they want, I can engage them, call the bus operator, ask him if he has seats and then sell that seat to the right. customer. Right. Right. But on internet, I'm not talking to them. Right. They just come and they self-serve and go. Eh? So how do you solve that problem? But that was very interesting because then we said, hey, like I think this is a very useful thing like you break down into a smaller problem and just go with that problem we said hey our problem right now is how do i sell tickets on internet when i don't have the availability of the tickets mm. right i mean it's not integrated into the bus operator. Right. i don't have the live availability when we define the problem like that then we started thinking ideating and etc and we came up with this thing I don't know if you have used Redbus in the early days. So Redbus in the early days, right? It would not have a book button yeah. against the buses, right? It would have a list of buses. So all the information that is static. What is static? That it is a AC bus that goes from Bangalore to, let's say, Chennai every day at 7 p.m. And this is the price. So all this information about bus is static. Right. The only thing variable is whether seats are available. Right. That static information itself was also very valuable because that information was not available anywhere. Yes. Like how many buses are going from Bangalore to Chennai that evening was nobody. Knew, right. right. So we took that static information published on our site, said, hey, these are the buses. This is the price. This is the type of the bus. And this, right? I mean, these, these are the boarding points. And that in itself was valuable. So people were coming here just to see the schedules right. of buses. And over there, we put a request button, not a book not button, a book. it was a request button. Mm. So if they like the particular schedule, they will click on that request button, leave their phone number and say, I need five seats, two seats. Then as soon as we get that, we call the bus operator, find out. And then, so we- So you're doing the Wizard of Oz. You are like basically doing the, you know, man in the loop kind of situation, right? For three years. What? Wow. For 
for almost three years wow. and uh, like many VCs rejected us saying, hey, this it is so scale. manual. Yeah, it can scale. It can't oh. scale and etc. and all that. But this but, is a, you know, such a classic example for doing things that don't scale. Uh, absolutely. I think automation and all those things will come for the most difficult thing in any business is getting the customer. Mm. Right. If you have the customers, then all this is easy to set, right? Mm -hmm. Once we started getting customers, right, we could easily go to the bus operator and say, hey, now you use my software if you don't want me to keep calling you, right? Right. And then he would say, by then the trust is set. You build like up the trust, right. knows that you're getting him And customers. you're giving him business. So he will use this. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. He'll use, he has a reason to start like using, familiarizing himself with some new technology. Mm. And on the customer side also, it becomes uh, more convenient if it is live thing. Right. So for three years, we ran like that. And after that, it just took uh, off. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating story. So one part that I wanted to address about that era, I'm sure huh. fundraising must have been different back then. You know, uh, compared to now what you're seeing today in Bangalore right now where you are. What was it like to go fundraise in that era? And who was your first check, if you remember that? Or what was that journey like for you, fundraising? Yeah, so for us, it was a little different because uh, actually I never went and raised capital. Always it was inbound. inbound. It was inbound. Always it was uh, inbound. Maybe in the second round, it was a little difficult because uh, we raised it just after the 2008 crash. Oh, yeah. Financial uh, downturn. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Correct. And that, uh, that is also a very fascinating story. Until then, we got so much inbound. I was very confident that, hey, we could raise any time we want to raise. Right. Because there was so much interest right. from investors. And one day I just woke up and all of a sudden, like the 2008 crash happened just like that, like mm. all of a sudden, mm. uh, right? And uh, that crash happened and then I'm in a new world. Mm. And all the people who said they would invest, invest, went silent. Mm. And I came very close to the uh, running out of cash. Wow. Yeah. So that's when I spoke to Kanwal Reiki. Again, Thai, uh, right. at a Thai event, Kanwal Reiki, one of the Silicon Valley uh, investors. Right. I spoke to him and he was convinced in that just one meeting and uh, they wrote a check and then from uh, from there we uh, went forward. Wow. But after that, it has always been inbound. inbound yeah. I, I so think it's, it's also because our business was doing well. Yeah. And you were, I mean, yeah. I think you were like a media darling too, right? The Red Bus was like, you were <laughs> writing about it all the time and you were always, you know, in media. So I, mean, I think the, especially the first round when you said that there was a lot of inbound, what made you choose one investor versus the others like you chose someone eventually like what was the yeah. feeling about them that you made that okay that was it's a good fit yes actually it was uh, advice from my advisors so i got these advisors from Thai. Hi. i went and pitched in a Thai event and they gave us advisors so i took their help and uh, that was advice so at that point in time the three inbound that came to me actually once they selected us in Thai they wrote about us in their newsletter mm -hmm. saying hey these are the three companies that we selected for mentoring and once that newsletter went immediately that day or the next day i got calls from three investors mm -hmm. One is called Seed Fund. The fund is called Seed Fund. The other one is called is Sequoia. Mm, wow. Uh, and the, yeah, uh, Sequoia is just, I think, setting up in, in India, India at that point right. in time or maybe something like that. And then the third one was Yahoo and Canon partners were doing something in India together. So it wow. was like a Yahoo. Joint venture uh, maybe. Yahoo's. Right. Yeah, Yahoo's investment arm or something like that. Right. So, and there were only these VCs. There were not many VCs. In right. fact, all through Redbus, all the three rounds that I raised from the fund's first fund, 
like every fund's first fund. So as we were growing, the ecosystem was also yeah, growing. Yeah, wow. That every fund, uh, like a first-time VC was investing in our company. Wow. But then when I had these things, one of my advisors advised me saying, hey, Sequoia is a large fund and you are like very early. Like I was just out of college then. Right. Uh, right? Uh, he maybe thought that I'm not ready for a large Institutional fund. Institutional fund, take right. It from, huh? He said, take it from a small fund who will give you little money, but give you a lot of time because you need that time. You need their time to like mentor you to do this thing and et cetera. So I didn't even speak to the other people. I just went with seed fund and raise capital. So that was how the first round was. That's uh, such a... But talking about the media darling, right? I think uh, we big advantage over there because we were one of the very few startups and that took consumer internet startup, right? right? I mean, right. There could be a B2B startup, right. but the regular media doesn't have much to write about. Right. It. But once it touches consumer, like uh, media has a lot to write right. about. And we got a big advantage because being like one of the early... It's a novel concept, yeah. right? fresher of college, coming out and starting a company and that to internet company and et cetera and all. So we got a huge advantage of that right. from consumer perspective also, right? If I'm saying I'm great, they don't care. But if uh, Wall Street Journal is saying, hey, he's great, right. that's a huge credibility. credibility yeah, uh, right? sure. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, I mean, that's why I think that it was fantastic. Agreed. I mean, I think that's why the impact was so much beyond, you know, anything that I had ever seen when I was there. Right. And also, I think what I remember from my time when I was in India and like watching some of the interviews that you had, you know, I think the like you were such a like I said, like you were such a aspirational figure you became one and i think you know I, I don't know how much you were intentional about it or were you like thoughtful about it but you were just it was easy for the public to root for you and hence it was easy for the public to root for edbus because it was uh, felt like a new startup taking to bringing us into the new era of internet right internet consumer era which i think india was just waking up to that era and you know you were such a great guide to guide us into that era and you were like well even now you're like that you know so it's such a <laughs> easy thing to root for and I, I appreciate your authenticity and i think one thing that everybody like growing up like business was like you were had to be born into business you know you, you had to be a tata you had to be a birla you had to be a, so to realize that a common man like an ordinary person like you on tv could give an interview and like say hey we're building this cool thing it, it felt cool but achievable that's what I loved about your story. It felt so cool that you were doing something new that, you know, like these uh, moguls couldn't touch because it's so new that they wouldn't touch it. It's so risky. Mm. But you were ordinary in the sense that you were relatable, you know, to everybody, you know. That's why, like, I think it was a special moment. So yeah. take us to your life after Redbus acquisition. I know, I mean, you covered this in so <laughs> many interviews about the acquisition and like how it acquired. So I'm not going to touch on that. But let's just say suddenly one day you wake up and you realize... Ibigo Group or uh, one of the I mean, they they basically bought Redbus and you're you're done. I mean, not done, but like it's no longer you. You're no longer it's no longer your baby anymore. What was life like from there? And what did you do? You do did you go on vacation? What did you do? Yeah, uh, of course I went on a vacation. I took uh, my mom and family on an international trip, uh, which is which is great. I mean, being in India, like especially our parents' generation, right? Yeah. And they they have this thing about London. Yeah. Uh, because my mom was born in 1940s, so she had some overlap with kind of the British era, right. etc. So I think taking her there was a 
great, great thing for me, right? And also having the time to go on a 10-day vacation, yeah. uh, just spend with her and etc. So that was fantastic. But otherwise, just after selling, I mean, the first, the thing in my mind was I wanted to take a, uh, like a learning break. Mm. What I mean by that is I wanted to do things that I won't get a chance to do right. again later in my life. So I wanted to expose myself to different experiences, different things. So I went to Stanford and did a course. I went to uh, UK and did a course in finance. And these courses also, I chose something that I probably won't study. Like I did theater, I did psychology, I did economics, wow. I did finance. I did sustainability in Sweden, wow. a course on sustainability and all that. So I went back to school. I set up a foundation along with another board member of uh, Red Bus, which is not-for-profit organization, which is now about 300 people full-time staff. Right. Then I worked for it's, the government. I got this Kakatiya Sandbox, the correct? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that's Kakatiya Sandbox in my hometown in Islamabad. Yes. Um, I... And then, yeah, yeah. How, how did it feel like going back to your hometown? Like, did anybody recognize you from TV or like, just like overall, did they know what you did? Like, how, how big of an achievement that was? Yeah, to... yeah. To sell a company and like, you know, go from I mean, within the family and friends. I mean, they would all know. I mean, neighbors and everybody would know. Right. <laughs> uh, so that, I mean, that is expected. That is there. But I think if you take it like uh, casually, then they would reciprocate it casually. Right. Uh, which I think I managed to do because it really didn't change anything in our life. I mean, mm -hmm. I still want to maintain the regular life. So for many years, actually, we went in bus. Like until recently now, because now we have kids and it gets difficult to go in bus. Right. But after we sold Red Bus, lifestyle was the same. So before uh, Red Bus, I was going by buses. After Red Bus also, I was going by buses. No aeroplane and all that and all. So life remained the same. I mean, they probably didn't see much of a difference. So uh, you took this learning yeah, break for uh, how many years? Was it two, three years? No, no. I wanted to take a five-year break. Right. Uh, yeah. So I took a five, six year break. Yeah, about five year break. Right. Yeah, I work for the government, which is, which is again, very good. I became a government officer. Yeah. So actually a friend of mine, I mean, when I had this, this thing, a friend of mine actually said something which really made me even more motivated to pick up these things. Because, I mean, he said, like, how many lives can you fit in in your one life? Mm -hmm. I mean, in your life. How many lives can you fit in in your life? Wow. Right? And... That was like, oh, wow. I, like, what he meant was you lived a life of an entrepreneur. Like, how many more lives can you live? Right. Right. Can you live a life of a not-for-profit or uh, right. like, uh, impact entrepreneur? Can mm. you live a life of a government servant? Right. Uh, right. All these are very, very different perspectives. How many lives can you live in your life? And that was, that made a big, big impact in me. And I said, wow, like once you're, you have financial freedom, just go for this. Mm. So that's how that's how I spent all my. I did a bit of angel investing and all that. Right. That's it. And so, <laughs> yeah. So after all these stints and you know different experiments, you finally got back to the highway of entrepreneurship, right? Recently. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. that. Like, tell us about what that idea brought you back. And I know you're currently working on building public, right? Bip dot so. So we'll talk about that. But yeah. tell us the path that got to Bip dot so. Yeah, so basically, uh, in these all these experiences, I was thinking, hey, whatever consumes me is what I'll do. Mm. If uh, being a government servant consumes me, I'll do that. Being a student consumes me, I'll do that. Being an investor consumes me, I'll do that. Any one of these things, right? But having gone through all that, like I felt like what was more exciting to me was building something. Mm. The joy of bringing something new to the world. Right. Right, the joy of 
crafting it right through the different parts or putting in creativity into it mm-hmm. whether it is go to market whether it is product whether it is organizing your company right the freedom to select who you work with right uh, right the the smartest the amazing people that you can work with right, right? so all these things were like very very i was kind of craving for that mm-hmm. and uh, i said hey more than anything else like building a company again is probably what will be more joyful to me uh, so that's how i kind of chose the path of hey i want to build something <laughs> so i mostly also driven by i think uh, bringing something new to the world right i think that was the big big drive that i had right hey, let's further the like possibilities or what new can we bring which will further the human race yeah. so bring us to the early days of bib.so like what made you choose that idea what was the curious part that you were trying to explore okay so while building redbus or even all these other things like uh, one of the things that i realized is our network is very powerful everybody's network right and uh, when we are solving a problem Uh, while building something if we just ask somebody in our network we'll leapfrog forward right. like for example many of the things that we are not doing are not being done for the first time like let's say you want to get a load balancer for your servers it's like it's it's been done earlier by somebody but if you have to do it you have to go read about it figure out and then uh, first of all figure out which one should you go like what technology to use and etc and after that you would try implementing it all that is like a few weeks right. actively or passively doing right but in your network in your contact book there are people who have done it and they can just come in and do it in like maybe an hour or so right so that will leapfrog you like it will accelerate your journey of building something right. and that happens in so many places like for example if i have to launch on product hunt i it's only one chance right, right? you get it launch on right. once uh, at least the first right. time you go read up about it and then you get prepared and you do a mistake then it's gone right, you, right? but in your network there's somebody who's already launched right. you just go there and they'll <laughs> tell you they would have, i'm right? smiling because i you know i could be that resource and i'm always talking to founders and i'm like guys i want to help use me and i was you know last year i had four product hunt launches that were number one of the year my number one of the <laughs> week wow. multiple of them were number one of the week and last year 2021's product of the year was software which i launched and so wow. like to your point like there are so many people in my network who I'm, sometimes i actually want to help and hunt them because also as a product enthusiast i want to keep my streak alive so it's in my own interest to kind of like keep my streak alive and keep hunting new things to bring to the world and but most people you're right they're trying to like they try to recreate the wheel without ever asking or without by do, trying to do it themselves first time so absolutely absolutely so there is a need for people to like reach out to their network and show what they're doing right. and interestingly on the other side their network is interested in what yes, they're exactly. doing like what like right so it's a two sided network both of them want to get connected but there was no platform which was making that possible in a seamless right. and the other way of doing it is like i need to first think of who will help me then i have to set up a meeting i have to send spend an hour with them and then uh, explain to them and get that help which is not scalable i mean but it was very very beneficial right. and then it just stayed with me i mean i always thought hey it will be great if i can get my network involved in what i am doing right. so that i can get timely right. uh, proactive right it just stayed with me and then during covid i noticed this build in problem right. 
right? People were putting a hashtag build in public and building in public, they were opening up, they were talking about all the things that they're doing, the pricing policy or something else or A-B tests or things like that and et cetera. And I said, wow, if people are interested in showing what they want, it could actually solve that other thing that I had in my mind right. that, hey, you can get your network to help you build your product and it will also bring in efficiency to the human race, mm. overall efficiency, right. right? Instead of like today, anybody who's building software, uh, last, uh, I mean, a couple of months ago, I was in the US and I met a friend of mine who's working for uh, Oracle Cloud, right. like uh, Big Bet. They want to, I think they want to do something like AWS and things like that and all. And he was building a particular thing. So I was just spending time and asking him, how are you building and et cetera. And he's a very very senior guy and he was saying that he's actually taking open source mm. uh, software and trying to uh, like use it like oracle like thing such a high stakes right. game of cloud compute they're using open source right. so in software it is more or less taken that nobody builds it ground right. you go there reuse that knowledge and uh, and build it right so if we enable that for other things other than software our efficiency of building things will go up. Right. We'll do it much more productively, much more faster and etc. Right. And everybody benefits. Right. The person who is watching this thing getting built will build his or her confidence and conviction or familiarity of building something. Right. Like if I watch you every, uh, like while you are doing podcasts, right? The more familiar I get, the more is my probability of actually starting yeah, a podcast myself. Totally. Right. When I'm not familiar with it, I'll feel like, oh, oh okay, I don't know how to start, where to start. Like a black box. But it's if it's I like a black you, box, right? It can feel like, oh my God, it's yeah. too intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. But once it is revealed, right, it inspires many more mm. people it, uh, to do it because it, it is all demystified. Right. right. So I thought there is a win, win, win. Right? The person who's watching is winning. The person who's showing is winning. And overall, as a society, we are uh, right. we benefit because of the efficiencies and productivity that comes right. into the thing. I said, okay, great. Uh, so how do we make it as a platform? How do we create a platform which is like built for building, building public? Right. Right? Then, uh, so that, that was a broad idea. Like, hey, is it important? Is it useful to be there? Yes, it is important and useful to mm. be there. And being a second time entrepreneur, right? I mean, you have some freedom to do something that is useful and important and not necessarily making uh, money from day about, one. Yeah, right. And how do I pay my yes. bills? And uh, it's not like I have to make it work right now because I need to make something. Right. You can attempt to do something that is uh, that uh, really, I mean, something something of this right. nature. And then we thought about, hey, where is that, that uh, what people are building lies, mm -hmm. right? And where does it lie? And while thinking through that, we actually figured out that a document is a very, very powerful, but a very underrated tool of making. Right. Right. Anything that is made in the world is actually probably first made in a document. Right. Like it could be a big business. It could be anything. Right. First, it is made in a document and only then it is made in the real world. Every, it every, is such a powerful. Every great feature was once a PRD, right? Or once a feature, product, yeah. concept, yeah. countries, yeah. policies. The way we live as a society, everything is actually first created document. in a document before it is created right. outside. 
right it is that powerful but it is so under the saying that uh, we don't even think right. that we said hey document is a place where things are made first we said hey if that is a place where things are there that is a place where collaboration happens like people can come together and create how about taking that document and building this whole process of involving your network into right. it so that's how it started i mean if if you're talking about what are the first few ideas and what are the first few days the first few days was that right. that we saw this phenomena of hobbyists doing it i mean at that point you know i thought it was hobbyists doing right. it but our whole conviction also came from looking at github and open yeah. source software yeah. right 20 years ago when github start, i mean when open source movement was there right it was done by hobbyists yeah. like people said how can you put your code out right. there like that was the era of microsoft right. and proprietary Everything software was like, closed. like you would never put your yeah you know put your code out there right, <laughs> right? and why would the questions were like because i come from that like red was i was talking about creating an open source right at that point in time people are like why would somebody come and like work on your software mm. right i mean so they, those were the questions that were there at that point in time which i'm seeing now in billion public like people say why would you open up your prd mm. like why would company come and actually contribute to your right. prd things like that but i think there is uh, we built our conviction around talking to building public folks and we have a conviction that it is here to stay it's not a fact right. it is only going to grow bigger and bigger right. and there is a precedence in uh, open source software that uh, open source software is only getting bigger and bigger as uh, uh, days pass by and it's not becoming smaller right, and smaller than it's going to compound i mean just uh, just the same thing here too one one thing that was interesting when i spoke to you last time was like how you found in this journey of bip.so how you found a lot of surprising interest from web3 and daos ha huh. in this concept. so tell us about that like why do you think web3 and daos are adopting this bib.so so much more than others yeah so actually what is bib.so bib.so is a workspace like notion on top of that we have a layer of git versioning uh, which will enable anybody to get oh, uh, the merge request right sorry Con- yeah. and etc like anybody can come and contribute to you and send a pull request right. and then you can accept or reject right. when you accept their contribution is permanently attributed to them yes right which they can showcase in public because this project is built in public right. so i can go and showcase in my profile that hey i contributed these ideas to these projects right. and etc and all that and on top of the git layer there is a network a social layer yeah. which means i can follow you i can follow projects i can follow topics and then i'll get in a feed which will make me engaging and i'll discover new ideas and new content and new projects and etc so there is a workspace with a git layer and on top of that there's a social right. layer so that is what we built and we thought we'll go to the billion public guys and then show them the product and etc and while doing that some people pointed us to saying hey did you know about daos mm-hmm. that's the first time we heard what is this dao right then we google about it and then we started uh, reaching out to them for them this was a perfect match because like web3 projects are built as a community yes. right like they wanted a way for their community members let's say in discord uh, they have like 5000 10000 50000 people right. and they wanted them to come and give contributions to a pr right to a feature to a marketing right. plan right to all these things but the existing tools didn't allow your 6000 people community to come and edit a document right. like if you use a google doc or Most, even an ocean yeah. doc you can't open up edit access to 6000 yeah. and track that. who's right. editing and what right like it's impossible to track who's editing yeah. what 
by mistake if they are undoing something and not just that there were other actually uh, interesting problems there like if you have 6000 people in your discord all of them are actually pseudonymous mm. they are not with their yeah, regular of course. names right huh? so if i have to take their 6000 people and then give them access to my you need the email address documents i need their email addresses yes absolutely right and imagine the hassle yeah. like first of all i need to go and ask that uh, pseudonymous person to identify themselves by giving them Which they don't want that's the whole point of pseudo right like i mean they don't want to dox themselves absolutely yeah absolutely and the second thing is imagine the hassle of managing that right i get an email id like i ask 6000 people some of them will give now some of them will give me 30 days later mm. take those things manage them in a uh, excel sheet and then map them some of them are contributing to marketing some of them are contributing to let's say product some of them are contributing to something else they're in different guilds now i need to map that this email id is this pseudonymous person and that person is in marketing yeah. or this email id is in this thing and in this thing. like it's a nightmare yeah it is nightmare yeah. right so with bip you integrate your discord server immediately all of those roles and users are synced onto bip and then now you can do access management just by roles you can say whoever has marketing role will have edit access to these canvases mm. within the marketing people who are at level 3 will get edit level 2 will get comment level 1 will means and after they get edit access like they can come and seamlessly edit it and you don't have to worry that your original document is getting like uh, 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 out yeah, of yeah uh, right right because there is a git moderation flow mm. and if they use a google doc or a notion doc there is no attribution to their contribution like people have this in, right on bip because it's attributed they have intrinsic reason to come and contribute right. so there are device. all these yeah. small things small things which are in their workflow right. which make it a perfect fit which make there is a need for a new product beyond uh, this right. because these tools are all made for teams yeah right you are you have a permanent staff and it's made for them whereas our tool is made for community yes i think fundamentally from bottom up everything is there, like the tool that, features are different yeah i think that's what i loved about it when i first saw when you showed me and i was like this is a very novel take it's mm. refreshing nobody has ever done anything close to this at all and it right now it can feel like a toy like how everything great once felt like a toy right at the, at the beginning yeah. of something it always feels like a hobby thing but that's how new era is always like embarked upon now tell me about how the customers are liking it like the current users are liking uh, bip yeah so uh, these are the features that they like because it just fits into their mm. workflow the git workflow and uh, discord integration and the social features like when we write a big document you can ask your team member to read that whole prd but if you have a community people 